Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to Mariners Talk. We are live today, Sunday, the last day in May. Tomorrow is the first official day, really, of summer, and I am joined always by my good buddy Dan from his lovely home in the Chicago suburbs. How are we doing, Dan? Good. How are you, Mike? Uh, I'm doing very well. I mean, uh, despite the loss today, you know, I think we, I think we could be a lot better. I definitely agree. All right, so uh, today on Mariners Talk, we're going to be going a little bit longer than uh, we usually do. Um, we're going to be getting a little bit in depth about, uh, or a little bit in depth for the Mariners, uh, not just a weekly review, but we're also going to be getting in depth with uh, uh, minor league players who possibly deserve a call up, and also we're going to be uh, talking a little bit about trades, and we're going to be going into the topic of Carson Smith, which uh, surprisingly I uh, should have uh, asked Steve Sandmeyer from uh, 109 of the Fan to join us because, of course, Steve Sandmeyer is always uh, excited about uh, Steve or Carson Smith, always calling him his boy. Um, but, uh, Dan, first off, let me ask you a question. I mean, um, I mean, I think we should get let, – let's go ahead and get that one started off, I mean, before we do anything else, but – Let's talk about Carson Smith for one thing. You know, Carson Smith, he's been with this team now for, you know, a good long period. He came up last year, nine games, didn't give up a run. You know, he's barely he's barely given up a run um, uh, while in the majors. He has a total career uh, – whoops, uh, let me go ahead and pull up his uh, professional stats. I, I don't know why it went straight to the uh, – Straight to the minor league stats. So let's go ahead and, um, but uh, yeah. So the so Carson Smith, since being called up, has pitched in uh, thirty uh, has pitched in thirty one games, twenty nine and a third of an inning, and he has an ERA of zero point six one. And um, for one thing, Dan, that's 
whoa, 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 whoa. What, what, uh, oh, we got a, um, call. Let me, uh, Um, yep, wait, no, so we were on, the, we got muted off the speakerphone. Sorry about that. Um, there was another call on the line, so, uh, we, uh, just had to wait till it goes. Uh, so Dan, l- let me ask you this again. Carson Smith, th- and there you go again. And, uh, let's, uh, let, let me, uh, just, uh, give me a quick second to, uh, oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm real sorry about this, Dan. Someone's trying to call in on the other phone. Uh, Dan, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, sorry about this. Uh, let me just uh, wait until this is all done with. Hang on a sec. Give me one quick second. I'll, yeah, I'll be back quick. All right, sorry about that, Dan. Uh, so, uh, I'm real sorry about that, Dan. That's fine. All right, so um, let's go. All right, finally, let's get on the topic again of Carson Smith. Like I was saying, he's appeared in 31 games for the Mariners, uh, 29 and a third of an inning so far this year. 21 innings. Um, he has struck out 34 in those in those 29 and a third of an innings, and his career ERA through 31 games is 0.61. And and Dan. I need, I want your opinion. Just how good is this kid? In my opinion, he is he's just damn good. This kid is just un freaking he's not human really. He he just doesn't give up any runs. He's just not human. Yeah, like this year, I mean, last 30 games, he's he's only pitched 22 innings, only getting up three hundred runs. He's pretty like alienated. He's not really human. I mean, he's got very fast. He throws very fast high velocity. He's been one of our best bullpen guys, and just today he has a minor bluff, but down the road I think he could be a closer. I mean, Carson Smith's got everything. He's been really good. He's been helping the, helping the bullpen with a lot of guys having underperforming years, and I see him as a big piece of the bullpen in, in the future as this organization moves on. Yeah, I mean, just – I mean, everyone's seen it. I mean, so far, I mean – Carson Smith, in my opinion, should be the closer for the Seattle Mariners. But of course, you know every, uh, Lloyd McClendon, he's sticking with uh, uh, Fernando Rodney, and I think that irritates a lot of people because, for one thing, um, me personally, I don't like Rodney. I, I I really can't stand it because, I mean, look, he may have saved 62 out of 67 attempts for the Mariners, but there comes a time when you just get tired of seeing this this just this irreducible complexity crap of just literally giving you heart failure every single game 
where he comes in to save. Yeah, but Mike, you know, this is why Fernando Rodney keeps closing. I really don't believe it's Lloyd's decision. He's making $7 million each of these two years in this two-year $14 million contract. I believe it's more of a money, and he's the highest-paid guy in the bullpen, and they paid for him to be the closer, and he's a big star. I mean, they put him in radio ads and stuff, all-star Fernando Rodney. All-star closer Fernando Rodney. So he's expected to be the closer, and it's just his money, his status and for the Mariners, it just if they take him away from the closer role, it's going to make Lloyd and Zorentic look very bad. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But looking forward to next year, I mean, here's what we have to look forward to is Carson Smith possibly as our closer, but a lot of people are saying, no, Carson Smith's not ready for that closer role. And for one thing, I'm wondering what the hell does it, does it, will it take to actually convince these people that they have no idea what the hell they're talking about, Carson Smith is ready because he looks like a guy. He looks he looks like he is in closer form already. Because I mean, what more do they want? They, they want him probably closing out the ninth inning, but that's not going to happen for the rest of this year unless Rodney gets injured. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is true. But again, you know, I mean, Carson Smith, he's one of the most clutch guys that you have. He's possibly one of the more clutch uh, relievers that Lloyd McClendon has in his bullpen. And again, when he needs him to come in for a big situation, especially a best example is uh, opening day when he faced Mike Trout with two on and two outs. He comes in one, two, three. Three strikes, he's out right off the bat, and he and again, I want to know what it will convince. What what will it take to actually convince these people to see that he is a closer? He should be the closer next year, and he deserves to be the closer next year. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, he's shown everything. I mean, there's nothing you can really you can't put him in a closer role because the team, and the organization, does not want to. From what he's shown so far, is he's ready to be that dynamic arm in the ninth inning that gets saves for this team. And I'd like to see it now, but we're not going to see it. But definitely next year, he he's ready spring training bound, right after spring training. He should be named the closer. I mean, he's probably got the best stuff in the bullpen long term. I mean, Wilhelmson's had his chance. He's not going to do well. Leon's never going to be a closer. Smith is the best candidate to be the closer for the future definitely yeah yeah definitely i mean let's let's go ahead i mean i know we are supposed to get on to our weekly review and i'm sorry that if we're going off topic but i mean i i, I want to get this out of the way because this is kind of a topic that really should be discussed because again you know here you have a, a, perhaps one of the, i'm going to go ahead and throw this out here okay i may be I think I may be going over the top here, but I think you have one of the more talented relief pitchers in baseball right now in Carson Smith. And by next year, hopefully he could become a setup guy or that close or the closer for the Mariners once Rodney's contract is up. And, you know, 
he could perhaps be he could I'm trying to think of who he really reminds me of. Carson Smith kind of remind me reminds me of and Dan, I want your take if you think you agree with me on this. He kind of reminds me of Eric Gagne a little bit when he was in top form with the Dodgers. I don't know who that is. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Okay, so uh let me let me give a different example. Um he kind of he he also he also has a little bit of uh, he's got a little bit of Mariano Rivera to him, and the oh, reason definitely. why I compare and it, here's the thing the reason why I compare him to Mariano Rivera is the slider. That's the only thing that I'm comparing him to Mariano Rivera is that nasty and I mean filthy slider he has. Yeah, his, his slider's lights out. It's one. Of, it's probably his best pitch. It is. It is, and so. Again, next year Rodney will not be, or perhaps maybe the Mariners will resign him. I don't know if they will. I don't know if they won't. But next year the Mariners need to make a decision: who's going to be your closer? Now, me, right off the bat, if I was Lloyd McClendon in that situation, and and Jack Zarenzik, my main guy is Carson Smith. There's no doubt in my mind. There's no competition. I would not put anybody in competition with Carson Smith because I know because here's the thing. I trust Carson Smith more than Fernando Rodney. Because here's the thing, even though Fernando Rodney is an all-star closer, he has saved 62 out of 67 attempts as a Mariners closer. He it, it's it's his saves that really get to me. He may have saved all those games, but he just gives up too many he he just gives up way too many runs, and it's very, very – it's stressful to watch his appearances because every time he comes in, he nearly blows the games for us. And that's what's frustrating, and that's what I think um, Lloyd McClendon and Jack Zarenzik will look at next year when Carson Smith has that opportunity to become the closer. What's your take on that, Dan? Yeah, I mean, he, he's definitely better than Fernando Rodney. He doesn't give up many walks. I mean, in 21 innings this year, he's only given up five. Barely, he doesn't even get up a lot of hits. He's only given up nine, only two run runs, only one home run. I mean, Rodney's given up a couple home runs this year. Carson, only one. And he has 24 strikeouts in 21 innings. So he's like Rodney. He gets the strikeouts a lot more than innings fish, but his whip is only .167. And... Batters are hitting over 300 against Rodney, against Carson, and 127. That, that's closer material. Oh, God, yes. I mean, and again, um, I want you I, I want you right now, Dan, it, think of perhaps one of the best closers that has ever played in baseball that you can think of and compare him to Carson Smith. I want you to think of perhaps – one of the best closers that ever played these games, that has ever played this in baseball, and compare and compare him to Carson Smith because I know that Carson Smith can be one of those type of closers that could have a career where he saves between you know maybe three hundred to five hundred saves because he's got, he he actually has that ability. I can see he has that type of ability. So I want you to give me a give me a closer right now that you could compare him to. Pebblebond. Firearm, he's been durable. Right. Still playing now, and he's getting up there in age. He he could have a career like Pavel Bond, where his arm stays alive for a while, and he plays a lot of years in professional baseball. 
Okay, Dan, I got to give you I got to give you props on that. One. That was a great comparison. I really like that comparison. Um, me, me, I really think he's like Eric Gagne, and I'm gonna let me let me go ahead and bring up Eric Gagne's uh, stats real quick because I do want to I want you I want to I want to go over this with you because here's an interesting stat for Eric Gagne that you should know, Dan. Um, Let's go ahead and see. Um, all right, so get this. Eric Gagne, um, he actually uh, won a Cy Young as a closer, and he converted 84 consecutive straight saves, blowing one. And throughout his career, he actually has only saved 187 games. Um, injuries have pl- injuries plagued him. I think he could have been one of those guys that saves up to, you know, three to 500 saves if the injuries did not get to him. But, again, here's a guy who converted 84 straight saves in a row. This was his line for three straight years before the injuries got to him from 2002 to 2004, 52, 55, 45 saves. Now tell me that is again, and he had a wicked slider. So that's why. So that was my comparison to Carson Smith. And Dan, from what I told you about Eric Gagne, what's your take now on Carson Smith and Eric Gagne's comparison? I mean, I don't think Smith's going to have that many consecutive saves in a row, or win a Cy Young. But he definitely could be a guy like Gagne, where he saves fifty or more saves a year. I mean. He doesn't blow games. That's that's the big thing about Carson Smith. And like Gagne, Gagne didn't blow saves either. So they both are reliable pitchers in the bullpen, and they're both closer material. They are. They are. All right. Um, so let's go ahead and get off that uh, the Carson Smith topic. We do need to get into uh, our Mariners Weekly Roundup. And uh, we start off with the first game of this up uh, this last week, uh, Memorial Day. Rowena Elias on the mound for the Mariners. The Mariners uh, playing a three-game series against the first-place Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Mariners take the first game four to one. Um, and uh, by the way, all the highlights that uh, and all the audio that is being uh, uh, that is coming to us is belongs to. Belongs to the Mariners and Root Sports, so uh, so yeah. Um, but uh, so the Mariners get two runs in the first inning. First off, uh, Robinson Cano steals and uh, in and Seth Smith scores. And uh, but uh, on the uh, next batter of the game, it was uh, Nelson Cruz to come up and I'm a little bit of technical difficulties here, just trying to look thing. But um, but yeah. Uh, uh, Nelson Cruz comes up and singles in another run. So that makes it two nothing. And but Rowena Elias in this game was lights out. It was it was really impressive to see him pitch the way he did. And I, I will say this to be to be truly honest, um, not really. I don't. I, I, I'm not sure about Hisashi Yukuma anymore. I really hate to say that. I I, I honestly truly do because. I really do like the guys that we have in our in our rotation already. Um, Dan, your take on this game? I thought Elias pitched really well. I mean, he he let nine runners on base with the uh, three walks and the six hits. 
but he got six strike. His strikeouts were good. He limited the one home run, the one in run. This was probably one of the best games I've ever seen Elias pitch. And I thought it was a game that was going to motivate him. And he looked good. He's looked good this season. He got a win, something he definitely deserved because his team has not been giving him wins all season. It really showed what Elias can do. And it was a big game for Elias and the rotation because he will come out. And we called Elias up. And Elias did what we wanted him to do. Phil and Fane will kill him and get a win, and he, he did it. He did. He did, exactly. Um, also in this game, uh, Mike Zanino did have a home run. Um, Rod gets his 13th save of the season. But let's go ahead and uh, uh, listen to a qu- uh, couple of uh, video highlights in this. Again, all the highlights that are uh, coming into this podcast are all – properties of the Mariners and Root Sports, but uh, here's uh, Nelson Cruz's uh, RBI single that made the game 2-0. to 2 to nothing. 370, and now on the disabled list, it looks like a pretty even matchup going into it. This is in center field. Kiermaier can't get there nearly in time. Miller scores, and the Mariners have hung a crooked number up on Odorizzi before making it out. It's 2 nothing. Another RBI. Uh, so, yeah, so there's Nelson Cruz's RBI single. And of course, that made it two to uh, two to nothing. Um, then, in the top of the ninth, with the Mariners leading uh, four to one, Mike Zanino decides to uh, add a little bit of insurance run to that to this game. Holds back on it, high fly towards the corner in left field. The Jesus watching, and it's gone. It stays there, and Zanino floats it right past the pole. And he gives the Mariners some cushion. A two-out assurance home run of the ninth inning. So there you have it, Mike Zanino uh, hitting a home run right there. So the Mariners win 4-1 to one in that game. And, Dan, first off, I want to ask you a question. Uh, I mean, what's your take on Aaron Goldschmidt? To be truly honest, um, I never thought I would say this, but he's worse than Sims. Um, actually, I threw it out the other night. I was like, I like him radio and I like him TV. I mean, I mean, it's, yeah, sometimes they they both can bore you a lot. But during that race series, I really liked listening to Goldsmith. I thought he did some pretty good commentary with Flowers. I, I liked him that series. But then there's other series where you don't like him, but that series I liked listening to Goldsmith. I mean, he's on and off just like, you know, the only guy I really like right now, I mean, Dave Niehaus is gone, but the re- the only guy I really like right now that does commentary for the Mariners broadcasting it's Rick Riz. I mean, he, he's good every time I listen to him. Yeah, you always love you always love hearing him um, on the radio. Um, next game that next game that we have uh, was, of course, um, perhaps one of the best games I've ever seen of the season, besides the eleven ten win that the Mariners had against the Rangers early on. The Mariners in this game down one to nothing in the eighth, and with the bases loaded. Kyle Seeger decides to come up, and boy, oh boy, I think everyone about lost their minds. Again, right here with the bases loaded. Seeger hits a bomb out to right field, doesn't have enough. Geyer is there, it goes! Grand slam, Kyle Seeger. Mariners have taken the lead on McGee and the Rays. For Seager, he now has five RBIs in the game. Let's see if Kyle Seager can do it again. Five. 
So there you have it. Kyle Seager hitting that home run right there. And then, of course, in the top of the 10th, when the Rays tied everything up, thanks to uh, Rodney again, um, Kyle Seager decides to take the game once again into his own hands. RBIs, including the Grand Slam. Seager to center. This ball's got an extra gear to it. It is back, and it is gone. Kyle Seager, a Grand Slam, and now a home run here in the 10th. A career best six RBI night for Kyle Seager. So there you have it, Kyle Seager getting the job done. And let's go ahead and listen to Rick Riz's call, though, because I I think everyone wants to listen to his call on his Grand Slam, of course. Here's the pitch. Swung out, well hit ball. Deep to right field. Back she goes, and this one is gone. Grab on, get up the right, bread and mustard. It is Grand Salami time. Kyle Seager with his eighth home run of the season. And it's now the Mariners six and the Rays three. And then, of course, Rick Riz's call on uh, I, I believe this was Rick Riz's call on Kyle Seeger's game-winning home run as well. Here's Kyle Seeger, Rand's slam to put the Mariners ahead. 0-2 pitch, and Kyle drives it center field. Going back here, Meyer on the track. Look it up, and gone! Bye-bye, baby! Kyle Seeger does it again with a home run in the Mariners. Have a 7-6 lead! Kyle Seeger, have a night! So there you go, Kyle Seeger... Basically wins the whole thing for the Mariners. Six RBIs. Dan, your take on Kyle Seager's incredible night. I mean, I was just astounded, and I was so happy to see Kyle Seager break out like this. Yeah, I've got to agree. I mean, he was the player of the game. I I was so happy he broke out. He's been up and down all season, and I think this game is what got him going, and he's been pretty good so far, and definitely – this was a really good game, and Seager was just clutch, and that, that home run just sealed it, and Seager was definitely player of the game, and three for five with six RBIs. Guys normally don't go out there and put up six RBIs, but sometimes that's what you expect from Kyle Seager because he's just good like that. Yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, again, but Rodney gets the win. Um and his ERA goes up to 6.98 ERA. We're not going to get on that. Bimel gets his first save of the season. I really wish Bimel would have shot the arrow, though, just just to mess with uh, Rodney's head. But the Mariners take game two of that se- of that series. And then in the final game of the series, Felix Hernandez. Now here's, now here's his last two appearances against the Rays. These were literally his last two appearances against the Rays. First, the perfect game. Then a 15-strikeout performance. So how the heck do you think Felix is going to top out that with a complete game shutout? But here's the thing. The whole game is scoreless up up until the top of the ninth. And And the big hero of this game was Nelson Cruz. And if, the, and if this uh, stupid thing can load, finally, I, I, I really hate technical difficulties on this, but, um, yeah, Nelson Cruz, the big home run, uh, just helped the Mariners out dramatically, and I really wish the Mariners would have had something like this last year when he 
struck out 15. But here is the basically nail in the coffin that helped Felix go nine innings. The 1-0. Cruz to center. This is Geyer racing back. It's over his head and it's into the pool. The Seagraves will have to take cover. We've got a floater here in Tampa Bay. Nelson Cruz will touch them all. A wet souvenir inside the drop. Three nothing Mariners. So there you have it. And then, of course, in the ninth, Felix comes on, um, goes one, two, three, and here's the final out of the ball game that completed Felix's second complete game shutout of the season. And it's actually been a while since Felix Hernandez has had uh, two complete game shutouts. But here's the final out of the ball game. Felix has dominated the Rays over the course of his career, adding another chapter to that. Long book here today. The one-two cut on a miss, and that'll be it. A complete shutout for Felix Hernandez. His second of the season, and the Mariners sweep the Rays in St. Pete for the first time since 2000. So with that complete game shutout, that was his fifth complete game. That was his 11th shutout of his career. Um, Dan, I want to I want to know something. I mean, is is this the year that we see Felix? just dominate and completely win the Cy Young by a by basically you know every him getting every vote except for one is this the year that we see that well if he keeps this up it definitely will be He's getting the wins low ERA whip low I mean he's already got two two complete game, two complete game shutouts Felix did not even have a complete game I think last year I mean it's been a while for him, like you said, and he's just doing everything you want in the eighth. And if he keeps this up from the rest of June all the way till the end of the season, he he should win the Cy Young. Knows he's been the best pitcher so far, in my opinion. Yeah, he has, and uh, and it's it's just incredible to see Felix on that role that he has been uh, going to the next game uh, on Thursday. The Mariners. Taking on the Indians, uh, this one was just got ugly in a in a hurry. James Paxton um, going only four and a two four and two thirds of an inning, giving up eight hits, four runs, uh, walking one, striking out four. But again, this one got just completely ugly. Um, the Mariners could not do anything against Corey Kluber, the reigning Cy Young, I might add, and Kluber goes to three and five after this. Um, of course, the reigning Cy Young again um, strikes out 13 Mariners, gives up two home runs, one to, one to Mike Zanino and one to Dustin Ackley. And here's the thing. Here's what gets me. Finally, Dustin Ackley actually breaks through, but it but it's all for freaking nothing. And that's what I think is the most pathetic thing of all, is that Ackley finally does something worthwhile. And... and, and, and what do we have to show for it? A loss. Yeah, I've got to agree. I mean, we need more offense in this game, and it just didn't happen. Kluber made the Mariners look like a single-A ball club facing a major league ball club. 13 Ks, that, that's 
15, 16K total in a game, that, that's not great for a major league team, and that's one of the reasons why they lost. They only lost six runners on base, and they were 0 for 3 or runners in scoring position. They just could not do anything against the Indians that night. And it was a game they should have won. It's a game they needed to win, and they didn't win. Exactly. And, and, and here's what's bad about it. I really wanted the Mariners to win this game because, for one thing, uh, again, not only was – and, Dan, you got to admit this, but not only was I pissed beyond belief, but – I'm pretty sure everyone, including yourself, was pissed that last year that Corey Kluber won the Cy Young over Felix Hernandez. I mean, it it just it baffled me that the, that the experts took decided to go with sabermetrics over pure raw just just pure raw domination of the season. That pissed me off beyond belief. And I and I know Mariners fans were more disappointed to see Kluber win that game than anything. Yeah, I mean the worst thing about that game, in my opinion, on the Mariners side, their their defense was terrible, especially that fourth inning. I mean they were just not making plays, and that's some of the reasons the Indians scored some of the runs they did. That that defense is terrible. That that was what made me mad that whole night. I mean. After the just watching that fourth inning, and it just all fell apart like the Fernando Rodney experience in the ninth inning. Sometimes it was terrible watching that defense not make the plays they were supposed to make. Yeah, yeah, I I agree one hundred percent. I mean, again, here's the thing: I I only watched a couple of the games this week. I was not able to watch any hardly any of them, but. You know, I listened to Felix Hernandez's performance. I listened to Taiwan Walker's performance the next night. But the way I was just getting at this game, it was a, it was just a complete pathetic show out by the defense for the Mariners. But um, getting on to the next night, Taiwan Walker, and I'm going to go ahead and play the highlight from uh, the game highlights. But this is a, but this is a, Taiwan Walker pitched his ass off last that night and I will say this I was I think I was just as proud of him as his mother was because at no let me tell you this Dan that's the Taiwan Walker that Mariners fans were that's the Taiwan Walker that Mariner fans expect to see all the time and I think that this game that he pitched showed that he I, – I, maybe he is ready finally to put out that dominant performance – those dominant performances like he like he, uh, like he wants. And Chris is actually joining us. Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good, Mike. I wish uh, we did better in this series in Cleveland. But otherwise, life's good. Nice to hear from you. Yeah, definitely good to hear from you. Uh, but uh, I'm going to get your take real quick or, uh, after Dan on Tywin Walker's uh, performance. But, Dan, take me take me to what you thought of Tywin Walker's performance that night and just that how how excited Mariners fans were are po- were possibly possibly got – to think that this is the Taiwan Walker that we know and we wanted to see. That was the best I've ever seen Walker in his entire Major League Baseball career. 
his fastball was working and his changeup were working and as a combination it was perfect. Eight innings, no runs from Walker, only two hits, no walks, and eight strikeouts. I mean, everything was working for him against an Indians team with some really great hitters right now like Michael Brantley and Jason Kipnis. I mean, I think he's going to get better as the season goes on. And this was another highlight from him that's going to be many highlights in the season, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Um, Chris, your take on Ty's performance that night and just how Mariner fans were more excited to see the Taiwan Walker that they expected to see this year. Uh, I think Ty, um, he's had his struggles, but, you know, as a friend pointed out to me, I mean, Felix Fernandez in 2006 at the same age started off 0-5, I want to say, like a 6-year-A, and we know, all know how good Felix is. So you have to kind of keep that in mind, Ty's age. As frustrating as it is, and I've been frustrated him at times too, but he was pretty he's pretty dominant in his uh, performance. I mean, I hope he uh, can overcome that. You know, and have this be like a springboard for him and it's a big start. Because for young pitchers like Ty and James Paxton, forces on the DL, all it takes is one or two starts, and then they kind of, you know, they'll get momentum and get going. And Ty's got the stuff. The problem is the Ty is all about in between the years. Sometimes, you know, mentally he doesn't have it. It's kind of – I'm glad that Ty broke through, though. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, getting on to the highlights, here's the uh, full highlight that the Mariners have on their side of Taiwan Walker's uh, eight-inning uh, uh, performance. Taiwan Walker on the year, 1-5 record ERA. So there you have it. That was uh, Ty- the highlight of Taiwan Walker's performance, and the and the highlight of that game, though, not only was that, but it was the play that basically won the game for the Mariners and Taiwan Walker. Two one pitch. 
City. Fifth home run. RBI's 12 and 13. So there you have it. The, the Mariners go on to win that game 2-1. to one. And, of course, in the ninth, Rodney makes it interesting. Um, he gets the first two outs, then gives up a – then walks a batter, gives up a hit, which uh, brings home the brings home the runner, but is able to get the final out. But, again, makes it interesting. So the Mariners take that game. Um, and so – but the next night the Mariners, of course, fall 3-4 to four, uh, due to four, due to – the um, inconsistency to not hit with runners in scoring position, and today it was an even an even worse. I, I just just I was at work the whole game, but I, I I heard that it was just a complete disaster by the Mariners pitching staff. Um, Dan, your take on you know those two games, uh, both on Saturday and today? Um, the four three tribe win. Elias had a bad Elias day. He walked way too many batters, and he had no control. And like you said, they went one freighter for runners in scoring position. That's not going to get it done. And this 6-3 Indians win today, there there are some really bad points of this game. The team lost eight runners on base, and there were only two freighter for runners in scoring position. And Leon blew the game. And there was this one play in the bottom of the 10th inning, Sesame's, hit a double, and he was on, no, Sussman was on second base with two outs, and Cruz had a ground out to Cody Allen, I want to say, and that, that ruined the chance to win 3-2. to two. And then uh, Lloyd McClendon took Miller out of the game, and that hurt later in the game because in extras he had to take out Chris Taylor and put him with Willie Bloomquist because Taylor's been, as everyone knows, Taylor's been striking out a lot this year, righty righty matchups. And but there are a lot of key points why this game was bad. And they lost the series. They need to win, and it was very bad series in general. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Chris, your take on on the last two games of this of this series, and the fact that the Mariners once again, you know, they they just can't consistently hit with runners in scoring position? Uh, not enough offense. I mean, today, I don't think there's so much runners in scoring position problem, more so getting runners on base problem. You play 11 innings and you only have, I want to say, five or six base hits, not going to cut it, you know? I mean, we, we don't. Have, our problem is our lineup is you got Wellington Castillo who hit six today. He's hitting barely above 100. No, I didn't mispronounce that, 100. And then you got, you know, Zanino's under 200, Ackley's under 200, Chris Taylor's under 200. So, I mean, you got a couple of hitters who are under 200. Late in the game, you're pinching, you know, Bloomquist and Weeks are both under 200. So, I mean, we got a lot of guys sub 200. So, it's not so much runners in scoring position problem. It's we don't have guys getting on base, period. You know, with Cano struggling to date, he's coming around lately. But, he, I mean, with, I mean, if Cano... Seager and Cruz aren't driving you in. We're not getting RBIs because we're not getting guys on base. And going forward with the pen, you know, you, you have to wonder about that train away Medina, you know. I mean, because Leon, who just got called up, he's only pitched nine and two-thirds innings this year. Yet he's already got four losses. And now everyone on Twitter is saying, well, send him down. Well, who do you call back up? Danny Farquhar again? I don't think so. So, I mean, it's kind of 
your your pin, which was a strength last year, is no longer a strength. So it's kind of – I would say you need more offense and some of the moves that Jack has made with our bullpen, trading away Medina and Brandon Maurer, it's, it's coming back to bite him. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, we are actually going to go into the first break of the show. This is actually the longest uh, stretch of minutes that we actually have had. Um, so, again, we're going to go into a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get a quick get into a little bit of the funny pages. But then we're going to go back right back to the Maris topic. So, again, we will take a short break, and we'll be right back.
And we are back here on Mariners Talk. Uh, that was, uh, again, after our first break. And uh, i got to say, that again, uh, before we went to the break, that was actually our longest stretch of actually going on the air before we even took a break. Usually we usually we go about uh, 25 to 35 minutes. That usually was the longest. But we went uh, uh, 45 minutes, guys. i gotta, I got to say, that was actually impressive. But uh, uh, getting back onto a little bit of a joke, um, before we get back onto the Mariners, um, there was a story that broke out, and uh, I think he was a college player. I, I'm not sure. Um, but a 300-pound pitcher for St. Thomas, Miami, Ben Anchef, I believe I spelled that right, 6'2", 300 pounds. And I don't know if you guys seen the movie Basketball, but uh, I'm going to play the clip real quick. Um, sorry if I muted you guys, but it, it, just so that we get clear audio. But uh, for our listeners out there, there is going to be a little bit of a, a vulgar language. Uh, this is a professional show, but this is the only clip that we have. But um, just seeing that kind of joke pitcher, a 300-pound pitcher, just reminded me of this clip from Basketball. So there was a clip of in the basketball. I was actually holding back laughter, but uh, Chris, your take on like kind of like this internet sensation that's really a joke. You know, I mean, what's your take on this? I mean, th- th- this was like one of the weirdest things I've ever heard. In a, and, of course, immediately I just think of that clip from Basketball. Uh, baseball is a great movie. I love that Matt Stone uses uh, Eric Cartman voice for that scene. But back on topic, uh, that picture kind of reminded me of a, or maybe before your time, a relief pitcher goal with someone named Rich Garces. Rich oh, Garces God. was, if you remember him, that guy, I... I I don't know what his official weight was, but I, I, he had to be over 350 pounds. But, you know, he was kind of effective. So, I mean, hey, if, you know, if big boy can pitch, he can pitch, I guess. I mean, but, yeah, I saw the picture of him. He, he was pretty funny. I'll say that. Definitely. Um, uh, first off, uh, <laughs> well, uh, uh, we got another one. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hello. Who's this? Hey, this is Will. Oh, hey, Will. What's going on? Hey, TV's kind of loud in the back. We can We can barely hear you, man. Oh, I'm sorry. How about now? Oh, that's better. Better. Will, as a long friend of mine, it's. It, Call in, man. Hey, it's good to talk to you, buddy. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, before uh, Dan, before I get your take, Will, I was just talking about that 300-pound pitcher. I don't know if you heard the story, but I mean, what's your take on it? I mean, again, it, it's kind of a little bit of a little bit of a joke to me. I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. I've never read an article years ago about John Cluck in Sports Illustrated, and the article was called "What Is It? What's a Cluck?" 
And at the end of the article, a woman talked to him and said, you should be smoking cigarettes because athletes don't smoke cigarettes. And he said, uh, I'm a baseball player, lady, not an athlete. So that's my take. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> um, Dan, uh, your take really quick on, on this uh, before we get back on uh, back to Mariner's talk. I, I really don't think it's a joke, but it's kind of like odd to see a baseball player be 300 pounds. But, I mean, he played in the NAI, which is a college division. It's like a, you know, there's, yeah, it's a college division, NAI. It's the lowest. And I thought it was pretty funny because I saw it on Facebook. I was just watching him, like, pitch an inning or something. I was like, what? This guy's, like, huge. I mean, I've never really seen anything like this in it was just really funny to see a big six foot two, three hundred pound right handed pitcher. It was like it's something you don't see every day. Uh, no, it's not. Um, so now getting back onto uh, the Mariners talk, of course. Um, let's let's first let's first off get on to the fact of the matter of Lloyd McClendon. And I know Will was wanting to uh, was waiting for me to get it. Will, first off, everyone's muted because I, I just want to make sure that the audio is clear. And I get everyone's takes, and I unmute them first. But um, again, Lloyd McLennan uh, micromanaging is, is is starting to really get to me. I mean, it, it's been getting to me since last year, but now all of a sudden he thinks that he has to rely on that every single time. And I think that's been the main downfall of this Mariners team this year because again, Lloyd McLennan is thinking, hey, if I do the same thing I did last year, we'll do good this year um no Lloyd wake the hell up get your head out of your ass and realize this if you want to win ball games play strategically get Ackley out of the lineup put in Justin Ruggiano who actually deserves a better who deserves a spot ahead of Ackley because for one thing I think Ruggiano is a better hitter than Ackley but you know I'm not the manager. If I was the manager, I would be Lou Pinella. I would be losing my friggin' mind. I would be possibly getting restrained every game. Um, Will, your take on Lloyd McClendon? I remember when Lloyd McClendon played for the Chicago Cubs in 1989. Um, he was a very, very good baseball player. He was very motivated. And uh, I think that's what drives him. And what I think would happen is that he set beside Jim Leyland, who we know his credentials for so long, and the Mariners kind of took that into to put him onto the team. But when it comes to players like this, you you have to have more managerial skills than just just being a motivator. Um, Bob Gibson, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, one of the worst managers ever because he just couldn't manage, but yet he had all the motivational power in the world. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, Dan, your take on, you know, Lloyd's managing techniques and and, and, and how, how maybe it's possibly irritated you or maybe he's just, you know, he he's, doesn't know what he's doing anymore, really. I think with the lineups, it's getting a little bit tacky and pinch hitting is getting a little bit tacky, like the Willie Bloomquist thing. I mean, I mean, I was like... I don't know why. I mean, Brad Miller is better than Chris Taylor and Willie Bloomquist. He should just stay in the game. And he, he's done other things like this, too. I mean, 
His bullpen decisions, I guess I've been fine with. Lineups, not really. I mean, the, the micromanaging lefty versus righty thing is really getting to his head. And it's cost the team a couple of wins this season. But in my opinion, I really don't know who we could pick for a better option at the moment. I, I like him a lot more than I like Eric Wedge. But right now, I mean, people are saying he's getting on the hot seat, and I could see it. And I think if he goes, is there anything going to go? But Lloyd McClendon, in my opinion, I mean, I don't really know who we could have as a better choice right now. But has he been disappointing at times yet? Yeah, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Chris, your take on Lloyd McClendon. Um, I think McClendon, I I think last year he got lucky. I think the pitching staff overachieved. If you guys are in the Taylor Matrix, it shoved the team overachieved. Um, the team also really hit really well with runners in scoring position last year at an unrealistic clip compared to how they normally hit. So that was unrealistic. I think the red flag on Lloyd is, I mean, Mike, would you agree that Detroit Tigers are a good organization? Yeah, I I really do think that the Detroit Tigers are a really good organization. I mean, I mean, the, the, what I'm saying is, okay, so they're a good organization. Their manager retires. Lloyd has been their coach for six years, and they don't give him an interview. So that to me is a major red flag, and that's always been my red flag on Lloyd. We all agree, Detroit's a good organization. Typically, when a coach retires and you have a coach on staff with manager experience like Lloyd has, they just promote him as coach. They didn't even give him an interview. So, I mean, that says a lot about Lloyd. And it says about that for six years he was their coach and they don't even trust him enough to give him an interview after having a successful run. So, I mean, what, what does that say about Lloyd? It says a lot. And I think I think with lineup and the moves that Bloomquist and such, he's kind of He's kind of hamstrung a bit, you know, by Z. I think, I think they should release Bloomquist myself and call it Montero. Montero gives you options. He can, if you want to play Cruz and right field, you can start Montero D8. So your seven eight nine is no longer terrible. Montero is a big bat. You can bring in off the bench for pinch hitting. I think another good move they should make is just get rid of Ackley, cut your losses, and call it James Jones. Jones is a pinch runner. Is exceptional. Let's say if a guy in later in games like a Zanino, yes, for example, Zanino yesterday and they didn't walk, rarely, they did walk, you you pinch run Jones, Jones is going to turn that walk into a double or a triple because it's base stealing threat. You don't have that. So I think, I I just don't see the purpose of Ackley and Wunquist on this roster. They, In my opinion, they serve no purpose. And I think if you had Jones and Montero, that would add a couple of extra wins this year with this late game situation. That's my opinion. Yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of uh, get what you're saying on that, Chris. Um, definitely, we de- we definitely need to call someone up because for one thing, you know, uh, Ackley's just not working out. He's not working out. Period. And I don't know why Lloyd continues to to give him the chances that he thinks he deserves because again this is just not he's not a hitter anymore i don't i really do think the mayor should cut ties with him um we're going to go ahead and get into another break um right now 
And when we come back, we're actually going to go. We are actually going to discuss um, the minor league players that may sh- that should get the call up. But we're but we're first going to go into both Dustin Ackley and Ricky Weeks as hitters and what their future um, and what their future is at, uh, with this Mariners organization. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
And we are back here on Mariners Talk. Of course, that was Nirvana. Um, I, the other night, I stupidly thought that that song was Pearl Jam and uh, Deftones. So uh, that was a horrible, horrible embarrassment on my part. But um, uh, Chris and Will, they've actually left the conversation. Uh, Chris, Chris had a run. I don't know what Will did. But uh, Dan is still with us. And uh, we're here talking about uh, not only uh, Dustin Ackley's future on this team, but we're also talking about Ricky Weeks' uh, future as well on this team. And, and I did take a couple notes uh, earlier today. And, uh, Dan, I, wa- I want to go over th- these with you. First off, let's go over Ackley. Um, th- these are the notes that I took over him. Ackley, th- this year, not counting this game uh, that he played earlier today, is 2-for-27 with runners in scoring position, which is a zero, which is a zero seventy four average, six for forty seven with runners on a one twenty eight, one for sixteen with runners in scoring position with two outs. That's a zero sixty three. Shockingly enough, he's eleven for thirty two when leading off an inning at a three thirty four or three forty four, one for twenty seven when batting with one out, a zero thirty seven. I mean. Dan, Ackley, this is just pathetic. Ackley is downright pathetic. Um, people, some some people have said it's not his fault. You know, it's his mechanics. So you're saying not to blame Ackley, so blame it on the hitting coach. Well, here's the thing: it's not just the hitting coach's fault. It's Ackley's fault as well because he has not made the adjustments. I don't think he's taken. Um, any strides to make any adjustments, and I really don't think he cares about making adjustments. I think he just enjoys screwing up and making himself look like an idiot. To be truly honest, Ackley has made some great plays in the outfield, but now he is starting to get lazy out there. And quite frankly, Ackley, to me, is just embarrassing himself, and he is just uh, hes just a waste of space on this roster for the Mariners. Yeah, I mean, Ackley has definitely not lived up to the number two overall pick. And this year especially has been pretty bad. I mean, besides the catch he made the other night with – they call it Rob Brantley's flyout. He's – like you said, he's getting lazy in the outfield. There will be balls that just – he just stops and lets it fall in front of him. He's not hitting like he should be. He's – wasting opportunities, striking out, popping up. Fly. I mean, he's not doing what he's expected to do. And it's killing his team. And he definitely looks like a waste of space. But I can't see him going. And as you pointed out, as he's leading off an inning, he's in 344 with an on-base of 364. If they're going to keep on this team, which they probably will be, I guess they should try a bad leadoff and then maybe Jackson or Smith second. But otherwise, he, he's been bad, and I guess that's the only way you could try to see if he'll fix it. Otherwise, he, he needs to go. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, again, it, it just seems like Ackley is getting worse. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like – to me, I – to me, it really does seem like Ackley does just not care anymore, and it, it, it's just sad to watch a player with with really. I mean, 
he had high expectations. I mean, I really had a lot of expectation for Ackley coming into this season. I really did think because last year he hit great. I mean, he didn't do that well in the first half of the season, but he actually did really great last year. But this year it's like he just does not give a crap, and he just wants to – it's just like he doesn't care. And not only that, Ricky Weeks, I mean, look, he may have hit a three-run home run against the Oakland Athletics that really got that and really uh, helped us win that ball game, but 70 at-bats, 13 hits, 22 strikeouts, a 186 batting average. Yes, he's only a pinch hitter and an every-now-and-then starter, but... What what is he what is he bringing to this team? He's not bringing anything to this team. All he's doing is once again he's like Ackley. He is a waste of a roster spot. And look, he he wasn't a big gamble for the Mariners in, during the off season. But I think now is the time to cut him to cut him loose because again. Uh, let me let me look at his profile again uh, because uh, I'm not sure of his age right now. Okay, so he's 32 years old. He is wasting a valuable spot for someone who deserves it. And Dan, I want your take on that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Ricky Weeks has hit 294 with two home runs and nine RBIs against left-handed pitching. Well, that's only in 17 games and 38 plate appearances. He's had 42 plate appearances and 22 games against right-handed hitters. And he's hit .083 with an on-base percentage of .214, and he struck out 15 times. I mean, he's definitely pulling a place for some guy you could possibly call up. I mean, there are guys at AAA that are looking to be – I mean, you could possibly call up Jesus Montero. A lot of people would like to see him. And he, he's 32. I mean, last year was probably just a shining year for him. I mean, he's been bad. He's been struggling with injuries when he was at the Brewers. And last year he hit well. He kind of platooned with Scooter Gannett. But th- this year, he, he's not proving anything. I mean, that like you said, the one home run against Oakland, and that's like, I mean, his defense isn't even that good either. It's to put him at a position. He's been terrible in left field every time. He dropped the one ball in the game against the Red Sox. I mean, he needs to go. He's wasting his space for either Romero or Montero. He's 32. There's no upside to him like the other two. He he needs to go. Yeah, he does because, again, you know, not, not only is he taking up space for um, someone who rightfully deserves it, but he's – He's really just wasting. Um, he's just he's just a waste of money right now, and I, again, he has. He, I don't. Re- he has no business being in. He has no business really in the lineup right now. Um, looking at who the Mariners have options for down in Tacoma, um, they do have Kettle Marte. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get on these guys first. Uh, Kettle Marte, first off, Dan. I mean, this is a guy who everyone really would like to see come up, but at the same time, I really don't want to see him come up because I think I want to see him uh, progress more in AAA until he's ready. Because I don't want to see another player being uh, come up before 
he's truly ready for the big leagues. I mean, Kettle Marte, he's going to be a great shortstop. I really do think he's going to be one of those really good shortstops. I really hope that the Mariners um, hold on to him. He's batting 343 right now in 51 games for the Rainiers, 68 hits, 12 doubles, one triple, two home runs, 24 RBIs. Um, he's walked 18 times, uh, struck out 20. So that's actually that's the one thing I really like. I like that ratio. He really he hasn't struck out that, a lot. In 198 at-bats, he's struck out 20 times, and he's walked 18. So I like that good ratio because here you have a guy who has struck out more than he's walked, but only by two. So, I, again, I like that ratio, and he's stolen uh, 17 stolen bases, and he has an OPS of uh, 829. So, uh, you know, this kid's going to be really special when he's truly ready to come up to the big leagues. And, Dan, what's your take on Kettle Marte? And, you know, should the Mariners give him the call-up if the time is necessary? I like his bat. I think it's going to be a great contact hitter. It looks like he has to play discipline to walk. I think he could be a pretty good shortstop. I think he has better potential than Brad Miller and Chris, especially Chris Taylor at the big league level. The only thing I want to see is him stay down to work on his defense. He has a fielding percentage at shortstop of .955. I think he could, like you said, he could use a full-year Dallas Miners. And, I mean, I'm fine with playing Miller right now. He's been up and down a little bit, but he's not too bad. I think Taylor needs to play less. And, I mean, if it gets really bad, or if they really want to give him a shot, I say try September because, like you said, I don't want him to not get enough time in the minor leagues and bust at the big league level. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that one. Um, I think Marte will get the call-up, but I do think that um, he will just be uh, one of the uh, the September call-ups. And here's the thing. I do think uh, DJ Peterson will get the call-up in uh, September, too. I think that's the one thing that a lot of Mariner fans are excited to see is perhaps the call-up of DJ Peterson because uh, Peterson um, may be the future for the Mariners. I, I think a lot of these kids that are in the minor leagues are truly the future, but um, let's get on Franklin Gutierrez because I think he really does deserve a shot back with this club because looking at what he's done in 32 games, um, a 333 batting average, a 981 OPS, zero errors, a 541 slugging percentage, an OPBP uh, of 440. He has five home runs, 20 RBIs. Um, so... Franklin has actually been doing really well. He did get hurt, but he is back up there. You know, he's doing really well. So I would not um, have a problem with the Mariners, you know, either DFAing uh, Ackley or Weeks just to bring up Franklin because I, I, I loved Franklin Gutierrez in the outfield. He was he was death-defying things, and I, I just loved him in the outfield. But I really do feel sorry for him because of the 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 string of injuries that he's had over the years. Yeah, I mean, he, he's like Mike Cameron out there in center field. He has a great club. And it, it was sad to see him go down with the injuries. But now he's back. He's hitting at AAA, pretty high batting average. I mean, over his last 10 games, he's hit 351 with one home run and five RBIs, three walks and nine Ks. Not bad. But 
I, I think if they bring him up, I guess DFA Weeks or Bloomquist, and then maybe try to put him with Ackley at first to limit his playing time because we don't want to see him get injured. But no, we no, we definitely do not want to see him get injured. Um, two more guys before I really get onto the guy that I really would love to see get the call up, but uh, Jesus Montero and Stefan Romero, um, also Patrick Kivlion. Uh, let's go ahead and look at Romero in 49 games uh, with the. Rainiers, he's batting 297, so I like that. Uh, 39 strikeouts to 10 walks, so basically the same ratio that he had um, during his first year when he actually was a, a really decent hitter. Uh, six home runs, 33 RBIs. He actually has a triple. Uh, that's a, that's the one thing that shocks me. Um, but Montero's been hitting the ball really well down in Tacoma. I really like the fact that um, maybe he really does want another shot with the Mariners. I, 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 and I don't think I would uh, mind the Mariners possibly giving him another shot. Uh, what's your take on Jesus Montero, Dan? I, I wouldn't mind giving him another shot either. I mean, I, My opinion would be if we call him up, DH him, and then put – I mean, we've been playing Cruz and right field a lot, so just throw him out there and throw Smith and left. I mean, I, I think Montero deserves another shot. I mean, he he's only in his last ten games. He's only hit two eleven with one home run, seven RBIs. But he's had a good season so far, and the strikeouts are kind of high compared to the walks. But he has thirty three runs added in and six home runs. And if he's hitting guys in, it, it's worth calling him up. I mean, let me see if I could find runners in scoring position. He's hitting three sixty one in nineteen at bats in sixty one games. I mean, we need guys to start hitting these runners in, and maybe he could be a helpful addition to the line. Yeah, yeah, I, I would not um, protest him being a part of the lineup. Um, the next one is Stefan Romero, who, um, he actually blocked me on Twitter. He actually did block me on Twitter. I was really shocked to see that he did. Um, but I think it was because of me bashing him, but he probably blocked a lot of other people. But still, I was I was, he, I think he's the only Mariner that actually has blocked me. Um, but Ramiro has done really well down in Tacoma in 37 games, um, 2.89 batting average, uh, 8.78 OPS, a 5.30 slugging percentage, a 3.48 on base percentage. So really, he's he's got a great on base percentage so far. Um, 30 strikeouts to 12 walks. Again, basically the same ratio, kind of almost exact same ratio he had uh, last year. Uh, eight home runs, 26 RBIs. Uh, so, so Stefan's done pretty well in Tacoma, and um, maybe he might have made adjustments. I, I think he may have made adjustments to uh, try and get a little better. So uh, that would be something that I would not mind seeing is him getting the call up. But other people are saying, you know, James Jones uh, get the call up. Uh, James Jones actually worries me because, again, he ha- he had a great hot start last season, but all of a sudden, pitchers started figuring him out and they started throwing him the curveball. And he, James Jones can cannot hit the curveball worth worth hell. He cannot hit that car curveball to save his life. And it was. On whenever pitchers got, got him at an 0-2 count, they threw a curveball. He got out. He struck. It was an 
it was an instant out. With if if you get James Jones at zero and two, throw him a curveball. Ninety nine percent of the times he's going to strike out. Yeah, I mean James Jones. I, I mean he can hit for contact, but like you said, he has no plate discipline. That curveball just he does not know how to hit it. He's fun to watch in the base pass, but when it comes, but he has to be able to get on the bases in order for him to do what he does on the base pass. I mean, we could use his stealing chances. He has 13 stolen bases this year, but definitely there are better options like Goody and Romero instead of him getting the call up for the outfield. Yeah. Um, so getting on to the guy who I really want to see get a call up because here's the thing. we got, Here's the thing, okay? A couple of years ago, the Mariners had a guy named Trayvon Robinson, and I loved Trayvon Robinson. I think a lot of people loved him in the outfield. He was an amazing outfielder for us, and he was he was a somewhat decent hitter. And they traded him away, and I was I was beyond shocked when they did. Um, let me go ahead and pull up Trayvon Robinson Robinson's page because I, I again when when the Mariners traded him. I was I was really heartbroken because here you had a guy who all right so he only hit uh, 215 with the Mariners he struck out a ton but when but he but he but he was actually he did make contact a lot he didn't get really a lot of opportunities he mostly did do pinch hitting so that might have had uh, a key role in his low batting average because a lot of pinch hitters are not going to you know, hit the ball every time, but Trayvon Robinson, um, let's go ahead and look at the splits real quick, because I know that, let me go ahead and look at this for the hitting, because, um, let's see, um, dang, um, oh, okay, here we go, so, Okay, so as a sub, uh, he batted 214, but as a starter, he batted 215. So, again, not really a great batting average, but he was amazing in the outfield, and I was really shocked when the Mariners did trade him. But when they did trade him, they got a kid named Leon Landry from the Dodgers. And here's the thing. When they got Leon Landry, um, it was... Or no, wait a minute. No, they did not. They actually did not get him uh, from the Dodgers, but they actually waived him. But so let me go ahead and see how the Mariners actually acquired Leon Landry, because this is um, this is a kid. Okay, so here he came. Him and Logan Bauckham came over from the Dodgers for uh, for a trade for Brandon League. So we gave away a kind of a somewhat crappy, somewhat good pitcher for two really good players in Logan Bauckham and Leon Landry. Logan Bauckham, I'm really shocked to see, has not gotten a call-up yet. He's in 15 games this year. He's has a 281 ERA, 0-1 record, 32 innings pitched. And in those 32 innings, he has 23 strikeouts, a whip of 141. So pretty good, pretty good whip right there. But Logan Bauckham, I really, I'm really shocked that he has not had a chance to play. But um, I do believe that uh, on Paxton's start, it will be Mike Montgomery getting the call up. But I really would prefer to see Justin Germano 
get the call up because Justin Germano has a three and two record, three oh two ERA in six game starts. He he's actually pitched in twelve games. Germano has actually switched from starter or reliever to starter. <clears throat> So he can do, so he he can basically do both, but he has a whip of zero eighty nine. That's the big thing. I really wish the Mariners would. Um, it's it, it it hasn't really been decided. I think yet, but I think Germano would be the right choice. But um, getting back before we go on to Germano, Dan Leon Landry, this kid right now is tearing the cover off the ball in Tacoma since getting the call up. Fifteen games, forty three at bats. 11 runs scored, 15 hits, 4 home runs, 10 RBIs. He's walked 7 times, struck out 3 times. A 3.49 batting average, a 1.085 OPS, 6.51 slugging percentage, 4.34 on-base percentage. Dan, this is the guy that I really love to see the Mariners call it because I do believe that because Leon Landry was a high prospect for the Dodgers, and I was really shocked when they gave him up. But I think I, I I've always wanted to see Leon Landry get this get uh, the start for the Mariners, and I think he is a big either him and Franklin Gutierrez. I think those two guys could replace both Weeks and Ackley in the outfield, and I really hope to see Leon Landry get a call up because he's. He's gone. He's 25 years old, and he's worked his way up in the minors. And here's the thing. Look at this. In three, um, let me. Here's his minor league career stats. Okay, 526 minor league games, a 230 or 283 batting average, 33 home runs, 235 runs batted in, 129 walks to 293 strikeouts. So not bad. He's stolen 118 bases. 118 bases. So this kid has. This kid is. I do, really do believe. That I really want him to get called up because he is really on my favorite list. Um, Dan, I've been talking for a long time. This is the longest I've possibly have ever talked. But I mean, what's your take on Leon Landry? First off, <clears throat> I like him. I thought he was a steal because the league was terrible. And he he's looking really good this year. I mean, like you said, last 10 games he's been 414 with four home runs, eight RBIs. His walk to, his walk to strikeout ratio is 7 to 3. You don't see that a lot, especially with a lot of the guys we've been talking about tonight. 200, no, no, not 200. 118 stolen bases in the minors. That's great. The time is now to call this guy up. He's 25 years old, and we definitely can throw this guy in left field or right field, probably more left field. I mean, give this guy a shot. He's hitting well, and if he does well, and I haven't really seen his defense-wise, like speed-wise and stuff in the outfield, but if he plays well, maybe this guy could replace Austin Jackson next year, and we just let Austin Jackson walk because he's been disappointing. But th- this guy could possibly become a future outfielder for a team. And he was a third-round pick for the Dodgers in 2010. There's definitely some sort of upside there. I mean, the chance to give this guy is now. I mean, I would definitely put him over Stefan Romero, probably over Goody, too. 
Because this is a guy that we need to look at now. I mean, we've seen Goody. I mean, he's getting old. He's 32, towards the end of his prime. Liam Landry is 25 years old. I mean, I don't want to see this guy rot in the minors for such a long time. And then we call him up when he's 29, 30 years old, and he's hitting well or decreasing, and we're like, look at what he could have been five years ago. I mean, the time to call this guy up is now, and he can either, like Stefan Romero, he could either be terrible or he could be really well, I mean, when he gets called up. I want to see this guy up, and I haven't really been paying attention to this guy much now, but now that you brought it to my attention, I want to see this guy up at the big league level, and I want to see it close. Take Weeks, Ackley, or Boonquist, whoever you have to take off. Give this guy a chance. I mean, his numbers look amazing for, I know it's the Pacific Coast League, but still, his on-base percentage is almost a full point, a full hundred points higher than his average. He, he can walk, he, he can, he has 15 hits in 15 games for Tacoma this year. Give the man a chance. Yeah, definitely. Um, Dan's actually, uh, I don't know if you got my message right there, but, uh, if you could do that, I, I'd appreciate it. But there's just a little bit of feedback going on. But um, I know you still be listening. But you, and and if you get back, if you get uh, checked back in, um, definitely let's talk about Justin Germano because here's the thing. Again, I really hope the Mariners give him a call up because I think he does deserve a better shot than Mike Montgomery. And the only re- but both of them are great good pitchers. Don't get me wrong. Both of them are great pitchers. Um, Mike Montgomery's got a 1.17 whip, but Germano, again, does have the 0.89 whip. So, again, I am a little more for Germano than I am Montgomery, but, again, I don't think really the Mariners um, will make a bad choice, uh, whoever they call up, to replace Paxton for his start. And Dan, what's what's your take on you know those two guys so far? I would rather see Montgomery call up instead of Germano. I mean, I saw Germano pitch for the Cubs in 2012 when they were they called him up and he pitched 13 games. He started 12 of them. He he was he's a way better pitcher in the minors than he is in the majors. He got shelled at the major league level of the Cubs. He had a whip of 1.56, gave up 81 hits in 64 innings, 52 runs, walked 19, 40, only 45 strikeouts. He, he's the type of guy where teams sign, and, I mean, they give him chances sometimes at the major league level. But, like, last year with Texas, I mean, he only pitched two games, but he didn't do too well there. Because in Toronto the year before, it wasn't too well. But... When he was at the Cubs, I saw him pitch a couple times live, and I wasn't that impressed by him at all. So, And Montgomery has never pitched at the major league level. He's a first-round draft pick, so I want to see what he could do. I've seen what Jermaine can do. All right, so definitely uh, some good feedback on him. Um, we're going to go ahead and go into another break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to go ahead and talk – um, a little bit more about uh, – we're going to go ahead and talk about Robinson Cano and uh, about his slow start and, and also a little bit about his ethics uh, that are a little bit different from this year. And then we're going to go ahead and get into uh, the Mariners' 
uh, upcoming week and their and their matchup. So uh, we will take another break, and we'll be right back.
And we are back here on Mariner's Talk with the last bit, uh, close to the last bit of the segment of the show. Uh, Dan's still here with me. Um, we're, before we get on to the Mariner's uh, week uh, preview, let's go ahead and talk about Robinson Cano for a little bit. First off, Robinson Cano is really having an off uh, year so to uh, really put it in, uh, I want to say, a, a an appropriate term, so to speak, but Robinson, you know, he's not just having a off year. He's just struggling uh, mightily at uh, up at the plate this year. And, you know, the, the Mariners are paying him, you know, $240 million. And this guy so far, and we figured, hey, you know, he'd be, you know, useless by, you know, maybe his, sixth or seventh year, you know, coming in, he'd probably, you know, start doing this, but not in his second year. I mean, again, it is just second year, but, you know, a 257 batting average is not going to cut it for a $240 million man. I mean, Robinson Cano has not hit below 270 in his entire career. The lowest batting average he's ever had in his entire career was a 271 with New York, and that year he had 14 home runs and 72 RBIs. But, again, you know, Robinson Cano's ethics are starting to bug me because here's the thing. Nelson Cruz, he actually, you know, hustles to first base. He beats out infield sinkers. Robinson Cano did that last year. And this year it's like he just doesn't really care. And I'm wondering what's going on with Robinson Cano. Well, I think he's declining, in my opinion. I mean, he's getting less hits. His batting average is decreasing. As you could, I mean, his, I'm trying to see something here. He has 33 strikeouts, and, well, he's had, he only had, he has 49 hits. I mean, he hasn't hit. He has 49 hits in 49 games, so that's not good enough. That's like going one for four each game. I mean, we need him to be that guy who drives in the runs, and he's $24 million. He's not even doing that. With runners in scoring position this year, he's hitting 205 with only 10 RBIs. That, that I mean, here's a guy. He is in the three-hole in the lineup, and he can't even get runners in, with, in scoring position. I mean, it's ridiculous. It is, it is. And looking last year, Robinson Cano had 61 walks uh, compared to 68 strikeouts because, again, you know, pitchers, they walked him to get to other batters. They're not doing it this year. They don't want to do that. Robinson Cano has only 12 walks compared to 32 strikeouts, so that's not a good ratio. That's a very bad ratio. And, again, you know, Robinson Cano, I mean, his fielding ethics is good. Don't get me wrong, he's he's still a great second baseman, but we need him to be that guy from last year that really was the leadership in the clubhouse that led this Seattle team to being one game away from the postseason. Just one game away. And we need, we need him to be that all-star that he was last year as well. Yeah, he's definitely not going to be an all-star this year. I mean... I think there's a whole lot better candidates for second base than him. You got Pedroia and Altuve. They're both having outstanding years. And you look at Cano, and he's in 251 with two home runs and 16 RBIs compared to those two guys who are 
leading their team's offenses. He, he, he's not going to be an all-star this year. And I'm really starting to get scared. Are we really – is this a decline? Is he going to be able to bounce back next year? Because he's scaring me. And he's hitting third every day, and I don't think Lloyd's going to want to move him because of the status in the line, the status on the set on the on the team payroll, his status as a captain. He's supposed to be one of our stars on the team, and he's not. I mean, there are better guys. There are better guys on the team being paid a lot less money than him, and they're doing a lot more than him so far. I mean, Lloyd's probably not going to want to move from the third spot when he. I mean. It looks like we should give, like, at least Steph Smith a chance in the third spot. I mean, at least he's driving guys in. I mean, Cano has to start doing something because we're stuck with this guy for eight seasons after this one. And we don't need it to be worse than Sean Figgins. And it's looking really bad this year so far. I mean, he's playing like an average ball player that you signed a million dollars for. When in reality, he's making $23 million more than that average ball player. It's really frightening, and you got to be optimistic, but it's like you're in between optimistic and pessimistic. Like, in reality, you got to see reality. I mean, he's not showing any power. I mean, I mean, he's got 12 doubles, but there are other guys who have more doubles than him. And a lot of his hits are singles, and... At one point this season, he was up there and doubled, and he's dropped, and he's struggling right now, too. I mean, his last seven games, he's been 240. I mean, last 15, 211, and the last 30, 237. And his on base is not even at 300 in those last 30 games. It's really getting scary, and there's got, he has to, hopefully, he can find his stride, but. It's really, like, difficult to be optimistic that he's going to, even though you want to be. But reality is showing that he's declining, and it's just scary because he's being paid so much money, and he's dependent on so much, but he's not being that guy that we need. Yeah, I I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I mean, you basically spoke in, you know, preach the choir there, Dan. Um Getting on to our next topic before we go into our Mariners uh, weekly, uh, getting on to the Mariners next week, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the Mariners and the All-Star game that, that's coming up because this is possibly an interesting topic to, top, to talk about. You know, I, I think the Mariners have a chance to maybe have at least perhaps maybe four All-Stars in the game. And right, right now my current favorites for the All-Star game for the Mariners, of course, Nelson Cruz, he's the lead way. So he's he, he's going to be an all-star no matter what. Um, second, Felix Hernandez. There's a no-doubter. No-doubter right there. Also, Kyle Seeger, you got a no-doubter there. But my next pick is possibly one that I don't think will happen. I don't think he will happen. I don't think it will happen. But Carson Smith. I really do believe that Carson Smith is one of those guys that deserves a spot in the bullpen for the American League. But but the only bad part is is that the 
the uh, All-Star game doesn't look at re- just relief pitchers. They look more at closers than relief pitchers. And I think that's what is, may cost Carson Smith um, an All-Star shot because, again, he's he's pitched in 23 games, 22 innings this year. So, you know, he's got that he's got that type of he's got that type of closer type uh, line to him, but also type of setup guy. And but I don't think I think he will get overlooked to someone uh, more uh, that has a better resume than Carson Smith does. Because again, Carson Smith, this is just his second year in the in the majors, so I don't think. You know, anyone's going to look at Carson Smith and say, "Oh, this guy, this is guy's in his second year." You know, who cares? He's he, he may be good, but I, but this guy has been in the league, you know, eight years. Let's, I want him more than I want a, a kid who's you know, uh, who's been who's been pitching his ass off all season long, and who is a downright you know beast when it comes to you know being shut down. Yeah, Mike, I definitely agree. I don't think Smith deserves to be an all-star, but they look at starting pitchers, closers, and relievers, and the starting pitchers and the closers definitely come before him. But if you want my take on who, I think we'll probably have two first-year all-stars in Felix and Cruz, and I think our third all-star, if he can hit around 280, 290, will be Kyle Seager. Those are my three all-stars. I think could be all stars on this team. Yeah, I don't doubt that. Uh, another thing that I um, would like to see, um, maybe if it actually happens, is maybe we see two Mariners represent the American League in the home run derby. I don't think I, I don't I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't think it's going to happen. But I do see Nelson Cruz representing the Mariners in the home run derby, and it's been a long time, and I mean a long time, since. The Mariners have even had a, a hitter in the home run derby. Let me let, let me actually go and look at the home run derby throughout um, throughout the uh, throughout baseball. And we all know that Ken Griffey Jr. Um, is the only Mariner to win the home run derby. He's actually won it three times, and um, he's won it the most times, more than any player in baseball. Yoenis Cespedes and Prince Fielder, they have one. Uh, Robinson Cano, he, does, he did win a, a home run derby. Of course, he, he wasn't a Mariner at the time, but, you know, that's not really the point. But uh, let, me go ahead and, let me go ahead and see if I can find maybe – because, again, you know – or let me let me just go back and see this because I think this might actually give me a better description. But um, I do believe the last time a Mariner really did represent the Mariners was um, was back in 2001 when Edgar Martinez and Brett Boone represented the Mariners um, in the home run derby. And I mean, I want to I want to know something. Uh, Dan, what would it what would it feel like, you know, for Mariner fans to, you know, see a Mariner back in the home derby and, uh, you know, see Nelson Cruz go for the home run crown? I mean, that would be, that would be something special to watch because again, he almost won it a couple of years ago, and, you know, he. And and here's the thing, a lot there's been speculation saying, oh, he's doing steroids this year, and let me tell you something. 
the guy's not doing steroids. If he's done steroids, the test would have proved it. The reason why he's hitting so well, because the other day the mayor's posted a picture of him having a 20-ounce weight on his bat in batting practice. That's why he's hitting so many home runs, because he's doing work in the batting practice. That's what I think um, a lot of Mariner hitters should do. I think Robinson can know. I think everyone should take um, um, something out of Cruz's book and, you know, put in some of his work ethics. I think Nelson Cruz is the hardest-working player on this Mariners ball club besides Felix Hernandez, because... um, you look at it, he works He works hard, and he wants to win, but he is surrounded by a, Cano, a Robinson Cano who looks like um, he doesn't care anymore, who just walks to first base like David Ortiz, who I think is a complete disgrace when he actually, you know, goes for I know Ortiz can't run, but, I mean, at least, you know, jog a little bit. I mean, at least make a little bit uh effort. But, you know, it's it's sad to see Cano do that. I mean, come on, you're not – you're not um, David Ortiz. You could actually run. So, again, it, it, it's, it, uh, it's a shame to see, you know, Robinson Cano, Robinson Cano do that. But, again, um, excuse me, uh, it uh, – it, 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 I think everyone on this team should take something out of Nelson Cruz's work ethic. But, again, I got completely off topic. I mean, what would it mean for the Mariners organization and the fans to see Nelson Cruz represent the Mariners uh, not only in the All-Star game but in the home run derby as well and go for the home run crown? I think it would be very interesting, and it would make a lot of fans happy because we haven't had a – Something like that, like you said, since 2001, the glory days of Brett Boone and Edgar. And, I mean, to see not, to see a Mariner be in the home run derby it would just be amazing, and it would bring a lot of fans and make them watch the home run derby because they're going to want to see their own guy. And it would be pretty nice for the young fans and the fans like me who have recently gone into baseball the last five, six years five, six, eight years, because, like, the little kids, they haven't seen a Mariner in the home run derby, and for them to see that, they'll be like, wow, look look at this. We have our own player playing for us in this big contest, and and we're going to have Nelson Cruz for three more years after this year, so it can help the kids grow like their favorite position player, and they'll be happy to see Nelson Cruz, and they will... So other people who watch the home run derby, look at this guy who could be a potential MVP candidate and who is just – look at your home run leader in baseball right now. It's not it's not a mistake. He's, he's powerful. The guy puts so much work into the, the work and the exercises and the drills, and if, and he he has a, he's at a great weight for, for what he does, the power hitter. Yeah, that guy is big. I mean – just to see him and just to see a Mariner like him represent in the All Star game would just be something we're not used to seeing. It would it'd be kind of a change. Like it'd be like, wow, we finally got someone here. I mean, it, it makes so many people ha- happy, probably, 
to see one of our guys finally, after 14 years, represent in the all in the home run derby. Yeah, I actually got it wrong. It was uh, 2003 when Brett Boone actually represented the Mariners in the home run derby. He actually did not hit one home run. Um, he had 24 uh, going into the home run derby. Um, but again, you know, it would be real special to see Cruz uh, in the home run derby. Um, I will say this though: uh, the only home run derby that I thought was kind of idiotic was the 2005 one. And the only reason I say that is because um, the, it was the fact that it wasn't teams. It wasn't uh, the players representing teams. It was re- them representing their country. It was it was kind of like the World Cup Home Run Derby. I thought it was kind of um, a little silly, but, you know, it was, it was interesting to see um, because you had Bobby Abreu winning, uh, representing Venezuela, Yvonne Rodriguez, Puerto Rico, Carlos Lee Panama, or David Ortiz for the Dominican Republic. Uh, he stopped Choi uh, for Korea, Andrew Jones for the Netherlands, Mark Teixeira for the U.S., and Jason Bay for Canada. So no teams were represented, just the countries. Um, that was interesting. But, you know, it would be so much fun to see. Uh, it would be, again, it would be so much fun to see these guys, you know, go head-to-head against Nelson Cruz. And the last time I think um, – Actually, I don't think Nelson Cruz has actually even been in the home run derby. He has never he has actually never been in the home run derby before. Oh wait, 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 no, no, no. He he was in the home run derby, um, lost to Prince Fielder in two thousand nine. So he's only been in one home run derby. But I think that this year he will uh be in it, definitely. But you know, it, it would be very special to see a Mariner again representing the team in the home run derby for the first time in, since 2003. So that's eight years since anyone's represented the team. So again, you know, that would be something special. Um, we're going to go ahead and take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to go ahead and get into um, uh, the Mariners, uh, the, the Mariners uh, week, uh, their, their, uh, this upcoming week for the Mariners and uh, discuss their matchups and uh, talk about, you know, what the Mariners can do to possibly walk away um, with a, a an over 500 record this week and maybe even get over 500. So we'll take a quick short break and we'll be right back.
And welcome back to Mariners Talk. We are in the final segment of Mariners Talk for tonight. Uh, we are into the segment of where we are going to be discussing the upcoming week for the Mariners. And, Dan, the first game for this week is going to be possibly one, possibly the biggest game of the week, really, because I, I don't think anyone else is really caring about the other games because, for one thing, you have Felix Fernandez on the mound against the New York Yankees, but going against the Mariners is former all-star rookie sensation Michael Pineda, who has a 6-2 record of 3.36 ERA. And first off, Dan, I, I, I'm i still just wondering why the Mariners would train Michael Pineda, who was an all-star in his first year, nearly won the rookie of the year, and you trade him for a possible bat. I mean, people didn't mind it at first, you know, hey, trade for a bat. But all of a sudden, the Yankees have, the Yankees have won this trade flat out, Flat out, you know, but you know, here you have Felix Hernandez, eight and one, one point nine one ERA going against Michael Pineda, who struck out sixteen in his last, or no, 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 he did not strike out sixteen in his last outing. Uh, it was the outing before that he struck out sixteen Orioles, but again, six and two, three point three six ERA. This is going to be a matchup that everyone um, is going to, and. I am expecting at least a, a complete full house at Safeco Field tomorrow. Dan, your thoughts on that game? I, I it's the big game of the series. I mean, you have two great aces going against each other, and it's going to be a tough one. I mean, the Mariners struggle against great pitchers. You saw with Corby Kluber the other night, and the Yankees have to face Felix, but. I mean, the Yankees right now are second in the AL and runs bad in. And the Mariners are 14th, tied for 14th with the Chicago White Sox. I mean, the Mariners are going to, they're probably going to have, like we see a lot nowadays, they're going to have a hard time scoring runs. So they have to, I think Felix is probably going to be Felix. But the Mariners have to find a way to score against Fineda. Or if not, try and work up his pitch count and wait for those relievers to come in and try and face the try and get some runs off of them because if is locked in and he's pitching not many pitches, this probably game is probably going to go into extras because Felix has been great and then that means Panetta would be doing great. So the Mariners have to either try to get to him early before he gets locked in or at least battle him throughout the whole game that the bullpen's required to come in and face them because this is going to be a tough game for both teams. Yeah, yeah, I I, I, ho- I wholeheartedly agree. This this is going to be um, – Felix has actually won every – has actually – in. Every single one of his starts. This is this is what has surprised me the most about Felix this year. He's actually had a decision in every single start. That is what has really surprised me. That is so unlike this Mariners team to actually give Felix a decision every single game. Or no, he's only had one no decision. So that's really shocking. But uh, I mean, what's your take on that, Dan? I mean, you know, we know Felix usually gets. Um, a lot of no decisions, but again, you know, the Mariners have barely ever have only given them one no decision this year. 
it, it's uh, it's not like before. I can tell you that Felix is usually a guy. I mean, when people look at him, they're like, "Oh, look, he he could he doesn't have a lot of wins. If he went to the Yankees, he'd have a lot of wins." It's because when Felix has been good since he won that Cy Young, and he has not had offense backing him up, so that causes him to either lose games as much as he wins or get no decisions. But this year, the offense has been better in his starts, and that's why you've seen this. So hopefully this offense could be better like it's been in his starts and hopefully make him 9-1 and by the end of tomorrow night because we all want to see Felix get to 20 wins for the first time in his career. And I thought it was going to happen last year, but it didn't. But I feel this year there's a pretty good chance. I mean, he's already at 8-1. and one. He's only got 12 more wins to go. I think he has a, if this offense can be doing well like it's been in the starts, I think he could be over 20 wins. But, I mean, yeah, it's not usual to see Felix with these wins like this and less no decisions. But, I mean, the, the offense, Nelson Cruz has definitely been a big help, and that's why he's getting wins is because this offense is finding ways to score with him on the mound. Yeah, definitely. Um, looking at the uh, – first off, before we get on to the second game for the Mariners, uh, who which CC Sabathia will be pitching against the Mariners, and it will either be Justin Germano or Mike Montgomery. Mike Montgomery probably will get the start. But Felix Hernandez, in his career against the New York Yankees, has a 9-5 and record, 2.87 ERA, four complete games, two of them shutouts. Felix loves, and I mean loves, to pitch against this team. He – because when he goes out there, most of the time he's going to go all the, all nine innings, and he's gone all nine innings with, uh, excuse me, he's gone all nine innings twice this year, two complete game shutouts. So that's awesome to see. And again, you know, it's 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 really fun to watch Felix do that because again, we haven't seen Felix pitch a complete game shutout since his perfect game, and now all of a sudden he's got two under his belt this year. So, be but Felix knows what he's going to be getting when it comes to the, the Yankees, because for one thing, uh, Mark Teixeira, I believe, is still out uh, on the L, so you don't have to deal with him. But of course, you do have to, de- or no, Teixeira will be on will actually be available tomorrow, so he will be available. Um, so, you know, I know Felix is going to make sure that he does not make a mistake with him, but I know one thing. I, I think everyone's excited to see A-Rod come back and just boo the heck out of him. I, I enjoy I enjoy seeing everyone boo him. Um, I will um, – because, to, to, to be frank, to be truly honest, he deserves every single one of the boos because, for one thing – um, Alex Rodriguez, and I will say this on the air, okay? Alex Rodriguez is a piece of shit. I'm sorry to say, that I know this is a professional show, but Alex Rodriguez is a piece of shit. He is the biggest cheater since Barry Bonds. He is the disgrace to baseball. And for people to keep making a big deal about him getting past Willie Mays and thinking that he 
that is that is an an accomplishment. It pisses me off. Alex Rodriguez does not deserve to play baseball. He should have been kicked out of baseball and every single one of those home runs, every single one of those home runs taken off. And I will say this, if Barry Bonds was to ever get into the Hall of Fame, I, I, I will forever, I don't know, I think I would actually stop being a baseball fan because if he was to get into the Hall of Fame, that would be just a complete disgrace. And I'm getting off topic, but Dan, your take on what I on what I just said about both Felix and Alex Rodriguez, and the fact that Felix is facing this um, home run hitting Yankee squad. Yeah, I mean, he's got a tough lineup, not as tough as he's seen in the past years. But I, I think he could do the job. I remember when he pitched that one game against the Yankees last year, Yankee Stadium. He did pretty well. But going on that. I mean, he's got a lot of home run hitters in this team. He's got Headley, A-Rod, Teixeira, Beltran, McCann. But these guys are getting older. And, I mean, McCann's only in 253 this year, Headley 255. Beltran's not what we've seen Beltran when he was at the Cardinals a couple of years ago. He's only in 241. I mean, this, I mean, A-Rod has been, like, the bright spot on this team. But, like you said, I mean, A-Rod, he's been so trashy the last couple of years. I mean, he just has to, he has a comment for everything. I mean, he goes and appeals, even though he knows he did it. I mean, that's like, come on, you know you're guilty. You were found guilty in the scandal, and you're still going to appeal. I mean, he, he's just been trashy ever since he was young and left the Mariners. And, I mean... Yeah, I'm pretty sure he probably even did performance having drugs with the Mariners. I mean, who knows how long he's been doing them. I mean, he is just not a class act in baseball, and I think he should have gone too. And the Yankees would definitely not be above 500 probably right now if they did not have A-Rod. I mean, he's been a difference, but we probably wouldn't be so tightly, like, focused on this series like, oh, the the Yankees might do something if they didn't have A-Rod. I mean, the difference A-Rod makes in this series is vital. And if there was no A-Rod, we wouldn't be worried about this offense doing much to Felix because it's just the old offense. I mean, all these hitters are declining. But you got A-Rod in 281 this season. I mean, this this guy would be probably the biggest decision, the biggest factor for the Yankees offense in this in this series. But I think Felix is going to bring his best like he always does, and I can see them. I can see him doing pretty well against this lineup, actually. I wholeheartedly agree with you on that one. Um, so, getting on to the next day against Felix or against CC Sabathia. Here's the thing: CC loves the pitch against the Mariners. He is twelve and five, twelve and five in his lifetime career and twenty two starts, two point six three ERA. But here's the thing. This is a different CC Sabathia than what we have seen in the in the past because this is not the same CC Sabathia that um, was considered to be one of the one of the top pitchers in baseball. I mean, he's just been quite he's just been terrible this season. I don't I don't know what um, 
has happened to him, but he is two and seven with a five point six seven ERA. But that's what really does scare me is the fact that um, is that he has that high ERA because usually when a pitcher does bad, when they face the Mariners, they turn into Cy Young candidates. That's the only thing that worries me about this game. Yeah, I mean, CC had to climb, but I mean. We're going to probably see Mike Montgomery pitch his first game of his career at the Major League Global, and who knows how that's going to go. And then you got the veteran CC, and he's pitched well, like you said, against the Mariners. I mean, probably the best Mariner against CC in the last five years is probably Bloomquist, and he's only at, in seven at-bats. He's at 8.57. But Austin Jackson, he's at 24 at-bats against CC, only a 208 average as a home run and two RBIs. Our, our biggest piece on the offense, Nelson Cruz, 10 at-bats, he only has one hit against CC. I mean, they're going to have to try and beat their odds against this guy because he, he's looked good against the Mariners, like you said, but on the other hand, he's been really bad the last two years, and they could either blow this guy out or, like you said, he could somehow look like a Scion candy pitcher. Yeah, definitely. Um, the third game of this um uh... Of this uh, three game of this three game series, sees Masahiro Tanaka going against Taiwan Walker. And uh, the last time Masahiro Tanaka faced the Mariners, he went all nine innings, uh, only gave up one run. And the, the funny thing is, is that it was Robinson Cano's first home run at Safeco Field last year, and that was the only run of that ball game. Um, he struck out eleven in that game. Or excuse me, he gave up, he gave up. Uh, yeah, he did. He did only give up uh, one home run, and it was actually a two-run home run that he that uh, Robinson Cano hit off of him. So, but he did go all nine innings. But I'm interested to see what Taiwan Walker does against uh, the Bronx Bombers because coming off a eight-inning performance um, really has gotten Ty's confidence up. So I'm very eager to see if that confidence remains with him and if he can pitch with that type of confidence that he had in that game and put it into this game as well and pitch just like he did. Yeah, I mean, this game, you've got two pitchers who have been very questionable this season, Tanaka being that he hasn't pitched since April 23rd and Walker being on and off this season. So you don't know what to expect from these two. But I'm giving my odds to Walker because he's been pitching, I mean, Tanaka hasn't pitched at the big league level since April 23rd. So he's had some time off and going to have to get readjusted to the big league hitters again. Uh, Walker has seen plenty of big league hitters this year. So he should hopefully know how to make adjustments. And so I'm putting my odds on game three on Walker. I think he could come out and have another great performance against this lineup who they have scored a lot of runs. But the batting averages are pretty satisfactory. So maybe you can find lightning in the bottle like you found against the Indians the other night. Yeah, definitely. Um, the Mares do have a three-game series then against the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, there, there's to be announced or to be determined. So no, not sure who's going to start against the Rays. But we are. I, I, I know we're going to see Felix going against the. Uh, the Rays against in actually game two because it will be after five days that he started. So we're, we'll 
or we will definitely see, or actually we will see Felix the let's see we will see him in the third game the final game of the series but in the first game of this uh Tampa Bay series um I'm actually worried beyond belief because the only reason I say that is because we are facing Erasmo Ramirez who is three and two with a five point five three ERA? We all know what Erasmo did with us, but again, when we face pitchers like this, they turn into Cy Young candidates. And this is what I am fearing above all is the embarrassment of Erasmo Ramirez coming back to Safeco Field and pitching like a Cy Young candidate. That's the only fear I have. Yeah, I mean, we saw last year with Noesti. I was at the game at. U.S. Cellular Field, and he pitched with the bullpen. He pitched a combined one nothing shutout against the Mariners. We've seen these wash up guys they throw away like Erasmo, and they just come back and they just do well against us. So the Mariners are going to have to find, have to put on their thinking caps and not look like goofballs against Erasmo, because this should definitely be a game they can win, because. He, he's not been too well for the Rays this year. I mean, he had a good start last game against the Orioles. But other than that, he's not been too good. And they need they need to win. I mean, they just swept the Rays last week. I mean, they they should be able to do it again. Definitely, definitely. Um, I I really hope, to be truly honest, I kind of want to see the Mares. I think I see the Mares maybe going five and one on this uh, homestand. And here's the thing. Um, I was saying this um, to someone. If the Mariners can actually get above 500, if they can really get above 500, I think they actually have the season. Um, I think they would get back on track, and I think that that would be the right motivation that they need to actually go forward and move towards that playoff expectations. If they can get above five, they need to get above 500 first. I think that's the key for the Mariners. If they can get above 500, one game above 500, that is when the Mariners, I think, will start playing to their playoff expectations. I definitely agree. I mean, they were above 500 last week, but didn't stay too long. But, I mean... I'm just going to take a look at their schedule for the month of June. And after the race, they they go on the road for a little bit. They play the Indians, and then they play the Astros, the Giants, and then the Astros, and then the Giants at home, then the Astros at home, the Royals at home. And then they end the month playing on the road against the Angels and the Padres. These are all teams that right now are either at the top of their division or they're competing for a wild card or they're trying to get back in the playoff contention. They are going to have a very hard month of June and they need to kick in the gears and start winning because this is a big month. And if they show that they can start taking some series in this month, they are going to look like a playoff contender because you'd be like, hey, they're being these other playoff contender teams. I mean, one that uh, and they played basically playoff contenders the whole month. I mean, they have to. This has to be a turning point month for them, and I think it could be, because if they get back to 500, like you said, then they're gonna have that mindset. Well, now we're back to 500. Just gotta work from here and keep winning. And I believe they can do that because they have a pretty good squad. 
on paper. It just hasn't shown on the field consistently all year round. That is agreed. And before we actually close out the show, here's a positive note for all Mariner fans. We're only three games back in the wild card. So that's a positive note for everybody to think about. So, again, so next week, uh, not sh- um, it is to be determined if the show will be going on, but if it does, I will uh, let you guys know in ahead of time. So until next week, this is Mike and Dan signing off saying go Mariners, and hopefully we will see you next week. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.